If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about standard card decks. What does it look like to design a game based around just your average, typical, run-of-the-mill deck of cards? What are the pros or the cons? What are the things you have to be thinking about? We're talking to the design team from Badgers from Mars. We've got Luke Badger, Andy Richdale, and Paul Abrahams. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, super excited to have all three of you here. I think this is the, the most people I've ever interviewed at one time. And so we're going we're gonna to make this work and, and hopefully uh, it, it'll be understandable. The biggest challenge of people is they have no idea who's talking when, like when is Paul or Andy or Luke talking. And so hopefully they'll kind of pick up on your voices. But uh, either way, hopefully the information is good no matter who is saying it. And uh, really excited to talk about this. This is something, you know, I just recently did a trick-taking uh, episode and I thought, man, this this follows on to that. What does it look like to design a game? You know, that episode was all about designing games based on old school hearts and spades and rules and stuff like that. Well, what does it look like to design a completely new game but using the same components as a trick taking game, using just regular decks of cards? And how do you do that in new ways? But before we get into that, who are you guys? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. And Luke, let's start with you. Thanks, Gabe. Um, yeah, we. Uh based out of Auckland in New Zealand, um, which is why our accents sound a bit funny. Um, and uh, I've just uh, been a lifelong game player from a, a young fella, but um, got more into sort of competitive card games. Uh, my late teens started off with the Star Wars trading card game, and that's where I met Paul and Andy, although they've got even more history um, be, before they met me. Um, and we just always played games uh, regularly at each other's houses. Um, we've always had a go at designing bits and pieces, never really with too much success, but it's always been a great interest and a passion of ours. Um, and of course, as the board, you know, as the sort of Euro board game renaissance has surged on and on, we've been getting more and more into that. And um, yeah, it's just always been a little a passion project, whether it's spreadsheets on the go or folders or books or boxes is always... Andy's always got some idea he's bringing forward, and Paul's always saying what he doesn't like about it. And so, yeah, it's been been good uh, good to do that. And now, um, more recently, we've had a chance to actually, at one of those design sessions, work on um, a game with a standard deck, and it went really well for us. Uh, we learned a lot, and we had a lot of fun. So that's where, that was how Regicide was born. Very cool. Andy, why don't you go next? Yeah, thanks, Gabe. Um, I'm Andy. Uh Similar to Luke, I've been interested in games and making games since I was pretty little. Uh, I actually met Paul when I was about six. Our families used to live together for a while. Um, and yeah, we just we played 
video games together and Lego games and uh, we used to uh, make little games as well, little dungeon RPG kind of games, we had, uh, math books with you know monsters and equipment and um, quests and everything and and that was heaps of fun um, and then um, learned how to how to program games and computers and that was pretty exciting making little computer games with my brother and um, so I was always kind of interested in making games I guess I never really thought about it as game design like as its own sort of separate thing it was always just making games you know so I could play them and have fun with my friends um I guess in the last sort of decade or so I've sort of thought about it more as as its own separate thing um I got to work as a web developer at um grinding gear games in Auckland which is a video game studio um and yeah I was just surrounded by game designers um and kind of got to hear what they were doing in their day jobs and got a bit jealous just of that kind of um role I guess and that kind of thing so I thought that'd be pretty cool um and then and then um Paul actually asked me if if I wanted to apply for a job at his game studio where he was working as a game designer so I did and got a job there so I worked as a yeah, video game designer for um, a couple of years uh, then that studio kind of um, ran out of money unfortunately um, but um, yeah since then just been really getting into board game design um, just found it a lot easier than video game design video game design's pretty um, tough there's just a lot of moving parts and a lot of things you have to do before you can even kind of test out your design so it's quite cool just being able to grab some physical components and throw them on the table and, and play around. Um, and yeah, working with these guys has been really great and just looking forward to doing more designs. Very cool. Paul, go ahead. Yeah, so um, I'm Paul. Andy probably <coughs> gave half of my life story as well. Um, <laughs> I actually just pulled down the um, from the attic the other day those books you're talking about, Andy, and seeing oh, nice. all that like the old like Lego, um, Lego the kind of written out with the little stats and all that kind of stuff. So that was when I was about that's when I was about seven started making those. Mm. But yeah, so it's been I've been kind of doing that uh, entire life. And like Andy said, I've kind of been in the games um, video games industry since there for about ten years. Um, so I've kind of been doing quite a lot of game stuff in my um, professional career as well. Um, well, this isn't that professional, but uh, <laughs> this is this is a little bit of having fun on the side. That seems to have worked out, so that's that's been really great for us. But yeah, um, knowing these three, uh, these two guys for yeah most of my life, so working with them has been um, oh, it's always challenging sometimes working with your friends, but it's also good because you can kind of be a, quite honest. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> no, don't like that. Andy, that idea is rubbish. Move on, <laughs> and, and no one gets offended. Hopefully, too much. Too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you guys have put together a game called Regicide, which is, as of right now, as of recording this, number one on Board Game Geek in the hotness, which is crazy because it's not the typical game you would expect, especially on BGG, to be in that 
at that point at that level. And so congrats on that. And I'm just excited to talk about like the design of it, the playtesting, all that kind of thing. Uh, but before we really get into it, what are we actually talking about? So when we say designing games based on a standard deck of cards, I mean, I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory. But Luke, do you have any other ideas? Like when you sat down and, and thought about like, do you have a good frame for what that even means exactly? It just depends how many you're counting, really. I mean, a lot of times you'll say 52 card deck, but actually, when the anytime you print it at a manufacturing level, you'll get 55 cards to play with. So if you buy if you buy a deck of cards off the shelf at the two dollar shop or the grocery store, you'll have your 52 face cards, your 52 standard cards. You've got two jokers, and you have a, actually have a manufacturing card in there as well. So it's just to do with how they print it off. So when we're talking about what you might want to do with a standard deck, you've you've got those two jokers and an extra blank card that you might be able to do something with. But other than that, that's all it is. Four four um, different suits and thirteen ranks in each suit, and you just got to work with what you got. Yeah, that's a really good point. You actually have a, a few more than fifty-two potentially, depending on how you want to design the game. All right, so when it comes to regicide, who had the first idea? Like who whose brainchild is this originally? Well, I, I get to claim I get to claim that one. Um, we were getting together for a design um, weekend. It was Anzac Day here, which was like a memorial day in 2018, and we shipped off our wives and three children. We each got three children, so nine kids respectively, and we were able to just set aside a day and a half or two days to just go through some other designs. Andy had a board game, Paul had a digital game, and I had something else I was working on as well. But before we started that, I just said, why don't we do a quick little exercise because I had this idea in my head that maybe you could do a dungeon crawl with just a standard deck. And that was about it. I said, I think maybe hearts are like your life or something. And maybe the, maybe the Jacks, Queens and Kings are like dragons or something you have to beat. And I, I guess you're working together. And that was it. And so we said, yeah, we'll give it a go. And we just spread the cards out on the deck and on the table and started moving things around, just started talking and, because it was right there in front of us, we weren't arguing about well, how many tiles do we need to have or how many dice are we going to have. It was just, this is it, let's do it. And yeah, it actually just happened really, really quick. Like the version that we have now has obviously undergone a lot of testing, a lot of changes and a lot of polish. But the actual framework or the skeleton of, of the rule set, we had it pretty much nailed down within the first sort of half hour to an hour. Like a lot of the core rules that you see now were there in the first 10 minutes the health stats are all the same the role of the aces is the same um the actual cadence of moving around the table is pretty similar so yeah it was just uh, a fun way to fun way to start it and so yeah, it was just a design idea and it, we refined it over that weekend and we realized that we really enjoyed designing with that standard deck gotcha now why in the world would you design a game I mean, with, with with infinite design space available, potentially, right? And you said you guys were already working on other games. So why in the world would you start with a standard deck of cards and, and design a game based on that? Luke, keep going, then I want to hear from the other, other guys. So the the beauty of starting with the standard deck is that, you know, we've always got so many ideas and all these, diff the, the scope is so big. And you say, you mentioned infinite. Well, yeah, it's infinite. If you don't have the components in front of you, you can do anything. But just to have this confined system that we already knew so well from other games you know we, we played so many just seemed like a fun thing to interact with and i thought it would be just a good warm-up just to get us thinking and talking and 
you know, back and forth in the in the feedback. And um, I, I think it's well worth giving uh, giving a go if you're at all interested in designing games. You know, it's a confined system of components, and yeah, I think it's a lot of a lot of fun to interact with. I think everyone should give it a try. What do you agree, Andy? Yeah, um, I think like originally it was it was literally just a challenge it wasn't like we were like okay our next our next game is going to be a 52k deck we're gonna we're gonna you know this is going to be our game we're going to publish it blah blah blah. we were literally just like let's do something fun flex our muscles a bit just almost like a kind of clear this clear the slate of ideas of all the other games just, just do something new just for fun and it wasn't till kind of a bit later when we were like hang on this is actually very playable and very fun and it, it actually works like should we try and actually make it into a game so um i think i think it is a very it's a good it's a good way to kind of just um get some ideas out there and just try something and just with 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 you you don't have to think about the components they're already there you can just focus on the mechanics as a you know as a separate thing you kind of you engage more with those kind of abstract game design ideas rather than kind of having to fiddle around um, with physical objects. So, yeah, I think it's I think it was a great exercise. I I have to admit I was a little bit kind of I wasn't hundred percent convinced at various points about the fifty two card deck thing <laughs> as a product. I remember a couple of times kind of saying to the guys, "Should we, you know, put stats on the cards or, you know." change the icons to more represent the powers you know make it more of a like gamey game um and and luke and paul both like, no no it's got to be a standard deck um and i was like okay okay you know they, they kind of convinced me but but now i can kind of see the the benefits of that you know it's a it's a deck that people can play any game with um it's you know it's just such a standard thing that everyone's got lying around the house they can they can play it. It's like a free-to-play game kind of thing. You know, you can just um, pick it up and get the rules and and um, give it a go. And it's I think people enjoy that that we're not kind of just intentionally putting little things in there that you can't play it unless you buy the the, the real deck. So yeah, it's, it's the uh, it's the free-to-play game that you can spend twenty bucks and um, get a new skin for. Yeah, yeah, it's the DLC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit more about the product side of things, the publishing side of things. We'll get that into uh, just to get into that in just a little bit. Paul, do you have anything else to add? Um, I think I think that we were super lucky with Regicide, to be honest. Like in terms of the design um, path that it went through, because um, designing with the fifty-two um, deck of cards is actually quite hard, um, especially when you're going to a to a new um, doing a new game that's not kind of based off you know like a trick-taking game or it's like it's like hearts but a little bit different when you're heading into it like a, a blank slate design um area i've i've and i, I guess i say this because I've, I've had a couple more cracks at it afterwards and um making sure that you've got a core um kind of core gameplay that's actually fun and balanced is is not uh it's not an easy thing to do i think so like um i I think with regicide we we threw down an idea and the idea stuck and it kind of 
it worked from day one. And I think there's, I mean, there's obviously some kind of, you know, design skill put into that um, from, from what we've been doing, but there's also just like a lot of, um, I don't know, luck's the right word, but uh, for, for example, the like Andy and um, Lick were saying, the, the health and attack totals on the, um, on the, on the, kings and queens and stuff um that that those numbers made it all the way through from first inception through to balancing and you know um and to the end product is like it still boggles my mind i just don't know how that how that would happen um to get the kind of balance straight off um right straight off so i don't know i, th I think there is a there's a um a thing of i think that to to, to make that into a um, into a how do you go about design a fifty two card game um, for a new game, I think putting uh, going through a lot of inter iterations is is probably still a good thing. Like throw, I, I know I've done this with my um, the games that I've been working on lately. Is like you throw out an idea. This is how the core thing would work. Oh no, that doesn't work because X Y Z. Okay, let's change the core again. And I think. Um, we kind of lucked into a really solid core rather than um, on like one of our first attempts, rather than I think in in practice it would it probably takes a few more um, iterations around the, um, around the maypole to do that. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point. Designing one of these kind of games is pretty difficult because you are so constrained and it would be really easy for the game to turn out into, oh, it, it, this is hearts with a twist, this is spades or rook or whatever with a twist, as opposed to coming up with a, a new type of idea and so paul keep keep traveling down that road what were some of the things maybe some of the other things uh, that you wanted to uh, maybe change or add or take away or something like that but you're like ah no this this doesn't feel like its own game now i think we're just turning it into something else did you run any of those into any of those kind of issues um so in in regicide uh like i said not not much um like and maybe it's also just um a little bit of the way that me and um Andy and Luke work together is um, Luke's very much a um, he'll come up with a thousand and one ideas um, and so he'll probably be the one who's got like I, I really want to do this or this and that and I'm usually the the guy who's saying oh, no it's not going to work because xyz or um, you know I, I'm not sure about that I don't think it will feel well and half the time I'm right half the time he's right <laughs> Some, um, I think combos was a classic example of that um so in Regicide, you can pair up um, twos and threes and stuff to make um, to play them together as kind of one play. Normally, you play one card per round. Um, and I was vehemently against it at the start because it um, it wasn't pure. Um, <laughs> so it, um, we had to like limit it to um, to having those those pairs and triples could only add up to ten. And I was like, that's just an arbitrary number. It's a weird number. I don't like it. Um, it makes it makes things more confusing, um, and and Luke spent a long time convincing me that it was actually the right thing to do, and I'm begrudgingly going to give him this one um, <laughs> that, that, that it was. <laughs> um, but but no, it's just there, there was definitely a lot of um, we had a lot of scrutiny um, after kind of getting the core the core the core game came down fast, but then we had a lot of scrutiny around each individual change to make it better. And we did make a, um, a, quite a few, like, small but substantial changes. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, look, look through to the one who who has a lot of ideas left on the cutting board. <laughs> okay, and I tell you what, let's uh, let's get like a little like a quick overview. And Luke, why don't you handle this? Like, tell me what is regicide again? We're, we're not doing like a an infomercial or a, a buy it now kind of thing, but like, does it give listeners an idea in case they haven't seen the game or heard of it? How does it play? You know, how does the fifty-two card system come into play? Tell me all that. Sure, regicide is a challenging cooperative card game for one to four players. Um, it is played with a standard deck of cards using your 52 cards and two jokers. Um, it has a um, sort of um, high magic kind of theme or, or your sort of role-playing style theme. Um, and players take turns playing cards to defeat the enemies which make up the castle deck. All the kings, queens and jacks are removed from the deck and you have to work your way through defeating all the jacks and then defeating all the queens and defeating all the kings. It's very, very difficult um, and it feels very good when you get to the get to the final uh, final king and smite their ruin upon the mountain. Um, it's basically you play a card to deal damage to the enemy then if the enemy is still alive, they hit you back and you've got to discard cards from your hand to cover the hit. And when you discard cards, when you play cards, the number on the card determines how much damage you deal or how much damage you cover by tossing it out. A few extra little twists. Um, each suit has a special power. So when you play a diamond, you'll get to draw cards. When you play a heart, you replenish the discard under the draw deck as a bit of healing. Um, clubs will deal double damage and... Um, all your spades will reduce the attack of the enemy like shields. And uh, yeah, you can play aces um, with, you can pair an ace with one other card. We call them animal companions. Um, and they are only worth one, but they lend their power to the to the play as well. So you can do two cool things on your turn. Um, yeah, and then you just go around the table managing the resources you have available, defeating the enemies and normally getting crushed. So yeah, it's been uh, that's the general idea behind it, and the beauty of the fifty-two card deck, which is one of the things we'll talk about today, is that people at home can um, they can actually try it out if they're remotely interested. Just grab a grab a deck and go for it, and that's one of the good things about it. You know, everyone's familiar with the system, and familiar with the components, and it's even um, the easiest print and play of all time. You don't even have to print; you can just, you just play. <laughs> Yeah, very cool. And now, Andy, you mentioned having some reservations about some things and not being sure, especially like the product side of things. What are some of the other things to think about, especially as, as a designer, things that they might not want to do this, like reasons they might not want to travel down this road? Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I guess we're still pretty novice in terms of um, designers and publishers. So we, we literally did kind of just th throw it out there as, a, as an idea. Um but I think, I think in the end, you, you want something that, that people are, have a reason to buy, you know. So in our case, I mean, we weren't putting a product out there that was a big lot of components that um, people had to get to play the game. It was it was just a deck of cards, right? So I think... No I think it, what's that? Oh, no minutes. No yeah, minutes. yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so I think, I think the art was a big thing for us. You know, we, we managed to find a... a an artist here in New Zealand that was really talented and and fit really well with what we were trying to do. I think that's a big a big one was you know getting a good um, merging of the design and the um, and the aesthetics. Um, and yeah, he did an amazing job. Knocked it out of the park. Um, and so it helped us kind of create this this product that people would actually want to buy. So we had, we had lots of people buying the game who 
purely just love the art. Um, and then we had people who, you know, tried the game themselves and, and bought it just because they really liked the game and wanted to support the designers or get the official deck. Um, so I guess, yeah, I guess, I mean, you, you have to think about where your, your game fits in the market and, and whether it's something that people are going to want. Um, I don't know if we did sort of extensive market research or anything, but but we felt like we had something that had a reason to be there and, and had a reason to exist. Um, and it kind of kind of ticked a lot of boxes, right? Like people could people could play it for other games, not just Regicide. You can you can get it out for a game of poker or whatever. It's um, and we kind of from the very start we put that out there on, on the Kickstarter. We said, you know, you can play this for free at home if you want, or you can buy the game. It's, it's we sort of just left it open. We didn't sort of try and hide anything. Um, and I think that kind of worked in our favour. People seem to like that kind of honesty and just um yeah we weren't just we weren't just trying to grab as much money as we could we would just sort of put it out there and see what see what people think right and it's also a huge advantage that at the very least if someone hates this game they can use the deck of cards for anything else it's not like a normal game where if you hate it well that's that's kind of all it does you can't really use it for anything else unless you want to start a fire or if you're going to use the components in game design something like that but but your game it's like hey if you don't like it you can still play spades or hearts or poker or whatever if you want to and it just has pretty pretty art on it uh and so paul let's let's switch over to you what are what are some other things for a designer just to be thinking about as, as far as maybe not doing too much but also doing enough where people see the value in actually buying the game versus just buying a two dollar deck of cards from you know the dollar general or something like that talk about that yeah so the buying the game versus buying a pack of cards i think like andy said that that that's fairly squarely in the art department um for the 52 card deck um the 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 actual design of the game um it being a fun game to play and stuff definitely makes people um go hey how can i support um these designers and that's but i think that's a kind of a would be a a small percentage of the people who who kind of pick up the you know just a regular pack cards play the game and go oh this is so good that um i'm gonna give someone some money for this even though i don't have to um so I think the art, from a commercial point of view, the art was yeah super important. But um, in terms of the in terms of kind of how does how to design um, how to have like enough or not too much um, in your kind of design of a of a game, um, I think my 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 general take on on design stuff has been um, less is more. I'm always the the cutter um i'm always the do we need this do we need um another rule um and so making a, uh, a game out of 52 cards was actually really cool for me because i'm like you know we've already cut a lot out of it <laughs> it's already pre-cut um it's already as small as it possibly can be um but then once you uh, i kind of yeah once you once you have a um a kind of constraint that you've imposed upon yourself um which i think um is yeah, 52 cards is definitely one of those there's other other ones you can do that with um it, it applies kind of more generally but it's kind of you go down to the like the constraint and then from there you kind of blow out sideways and go what are, what are all the kind of possibilities that you can use um that you can use these components for for example you know like go, go to the aces for regicide you know um 
uh, what can, you know, can, can aces be used? Um, we've got an A there, you know, it's already sparking a, a new, um, it's got a new design space there. It's kind of slightly different than the twos to tens. The jacks and queens and kings are slightly different. Okay, we've got a, we've got components that are slightly differentiated and therefore we can like leverage that dif um, that difference to make um, interesting design choices that are still um, understandable, um, which is kind of why the you know why the two to ten twos to ten kind of work the same way. Um, all those cards kind of work in a similar fashion in Regicide because um, they kind of all um, in a regular deck of cards they all kind of are similar in their um, I guess in their function or their their design. Um, so kind of pulling apart the design space you have and understanding like how far you can um, you can push and, um, and pull components um, yeah I, but I, I guess I, I, another example of that in just in restricted design is um, after making Regicide um, I made another game called Rigid Dice um, which was Regicide with Dice and then um, that was a, a little bit of a hit, hit with some of the design friends that we um, we had, and so I was like, okay, what's the next what's the next regicide like game we're making? And I really wanted to make um, PG side, which is making um, <laughs> which is making regicide, but but hanging up up but with pegs on a, on a clothesline, and so just g going <laughs> going so there's a restricted design space and going how you know what can um, what what constraints do I have and what but what um, freedom do I have in this? You know, pegs can be different colours. You can be hanging up different uh, t-shirts versus socks. Does a does hanging up um, two pegs on a on a t-shirt do a different attack than a one peg on a sock? But <laughs> obviously, that game never quite got made. But but it's that kind of um, exploding out the design space so that you so it's you, you restrict yourself, but then you can actually explore that. There was um, still a, a a design space to explore there. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm not sure of the uh, marketability of the uh, pigs <laughs> on socks game. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying maybe maybe something else might be a better way to go from a business to Kickstarter. <laughs> 2023. Um, that's right. All right, so let's talk about testing real quick. Luke, you mentioned that one of the advantages is that pretty much everybody has a deck of cards at their house lying around somewhere, and so everybody could test this thing out, and, and you don't have to cut anything, you don't have to print anything. It's just already good to go, take out the deck of cards, and, and get to playing. What are some of the things you saw during testing? Maybe some of the feedback that you received that you're like, oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't think about that. Wait, did you run into any issues or any stories from uh, testing? The, the, the biggest thing about testing with the deck of cards is there's no prototyping stage. And that is huge for when you're trying to get ideas and wrap your head around what the game could be. You know, with the, if you're just making a tile placement game or a little worker placement anytime you think of a new idea you're like okay this oh, this could be cool let me just and sometimes you can cross out a number on a card and change that but a lot of times you have to go back to the print or you have to go back to your files and rehash everything um, you know or you're thinking oh if I, I think if I had a track on the right hand side yeah then people can move up that and then yeah be more incentivized oh yeah, that'll fix that problem but every time you have one of those ideas you have this massive sunk cost and chopping bits of paper up and printing things out with a deck of cards you get none of that because you already 100% know what everything is going to be yes the, you might decide to include a dice with the game you might be flipping a coin maybe but if you really stick to the deck which is what that was one of our main 
design pillars or tenants, we said this, it is only going to be a deck. We're not even going to change the symbols on the cards. So it's literally a deck of cards. Um, and when, when, once you're stuck to that, like someone could say, oh, what if we did this? Oh, let's try it. Flip the cards over, shuffle, go again. What if it had, let's try it, boom, boom. And we were just ripping through a whole bunch of ideas very quickly. Um, and it's very satisfying to do that when so much of what we love to do as designers is to you know solve those problems you know that's why we think about those ideas in the shower that's why we wake up at 3am and write them down in our notebook because our brains love to do that but we spend so much of our time just cutting things out or aligning columns on a template that you don't really get to do a lot of it so yeah it's it's a great way to just try again and again and again and just get those ideas to the table it's really fun so if you've got um you know got someone you like to design games with or someone that you have to design games with because you've been friends with them for so long you should grab a deck and give it a go right did you notice anything from like playtesters or any feedback or anything that uh would be interesting to, to talk about here um we had we play tested it with a wide a, a few a few different groups um the biggest the the biggest kick for us was that after that weekend it was a functioning pile of cards basically the game was kind of there and took it to work and showed it to a mate and we were thinking nothing of the game we we're just like oh it's just this exercise but i showed him out of fun he goes oh that's kind of cool he took it away on the weekend and played it with all his friends and brought it back on monday and had notes i was like oh okay you, did you like it I was, yeah it's cool but we thought maybe this and this and this and as is often the custom he had perfectly identified the problems and incorrectly offered the solutions but that was fine i knew what he meant so we went and started tweaking it um but but look it didn't be because because the system is so closed we didn't do a lot of outside playtesting we played it with our friends and they got sick to death of it pretty quick but um you know we weren't sending it off we didn't have our you know jamie stegmeier network of a hundred different you know, playtest groups. It was just we could we could test it ourselves, and we could decide if it felt right, if it had what it needed to have. Um, and we, there's a couple of great rules in the game that came from suggestions from friends. The um, enemies counting as um, higher value. So not when we first started, every face card when you healed them back into the deck was only worth ten. But a couple of guys, Philip and Thomas both suggested that uh, maybe the queens should count for 15 and the kings should count for 20. And that was an awesome change, which helped with the um, difficulty levels. So, um, yeah, it wasn't a, because you have everything in front of you, you don't need to, you know, you don't, you don't need to go as, as far and wide, I think. But, you know, it's easy to do that. It wasn't any difficulty for our friends to grab a deck and give a rule change a quick go. Right, and anytime you're designing a game that's one, a cooperative game, it's a little bit easier to play test because you're not having to deal with the balance of the players as much as the balance of like the AI and the games. It's a little bit easier. But also, mm-hmm. when you have a simple game like this, like you don't have to worry about well, at the 60 minute mark, if a player has gone this strategy, and like you don't have to deal with a lot of those things that you would with like a, a big two hour worker placement game or something like that. So there's a huge, huge yep. advantage there. Um, Andy or Paul, any ideas or any stories uh, as far as play testing? Anything you noticed? Um, I guess one because we had a pretty big sort of testing phase at the end, and one thing that really helped was because um, I'm a web developer, as I as I mentioned, and I just had a thought one day, oh, why don't I just whip up a quick digital version of the game, and so we can test it. So 
I put together a very quick and nasty just um, little um, game on a on a web page that we could just we could just smash up hundreds of games um, and yeah it wasn't pretty it wasn't really something that we could um, sort of release to the wider market but it was it was just an easy way to click through a game real quickly um, it was and, awesome yeah it, it was meant, amazing Andy yeah and it, it sort of Paul really came into his own as a as a tester through that. I think he. Just, um, are, you, are you saying I was lazy before that? Is that what you're trying to say? It's not what I. It's not what I said. But um, no, Paul, Paul just smashed out hundreds of games, and, and it was really good. Sort of, we were able to get sort of actual, um, you know, data from from it. You know, win rates at different player accounts, and and then we could tweak the rules and kind of we were able to kind of mark that version and then start a new set of data on the new version to like compare win rates between um, different rule sets. Um, so that really helped us kind of get things like um, the different rules for the different player counts down. I think the, the rule around the number of jesters in the deck came from that and how the jester actually works when you, when you play it. Um, yeah. So, so that, that was really um, key, I think, and obviously for a lot of more complicated games, that would that would be much too expensive a task. But um, for a more simple game, it was it was definitely worth it. I, I think um, it really helped with that. Um, you know how you're saying like the, the end game uh, after a hundred hours, after five hours, if they've got you know this big state on their board. Um, for Regicide, the 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 five hour end game is actually someone having played the game over and over and over again to refine strategy and to understand how how to actually beat the game and so for us to test um so i guess that the the um version that andy made which was awesome allowed us to um allowed me to kind of try and break that end game so you know um we i could continue to uh push different strategies and um figure out different paths you know trying to beat my own game um but but to do that with um with a set of um with a set of people would be quite difficult um to to, you know to get them to play enough of the game in one um in one configuration of that game to actually get to the um end point of knowing you know oh this is a really good strategy or this is a really good strategy so um that the amount of games we were able to play there really helped make sure that the um, that the yeah the the, the win condition um, uh, after playing it lots was really tight. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now switching gears a little bit, let's talk about suits. I've seen lots of games come out with their own version and they turn the spades into something else, the hearts into something else. It's the same. It's still four suits and they're red and black, whatever, but they're just different icons and that kind of thing. Did you guys talk? about doing that did you think about doing that luke did you think about turning spades into shields diamonds into fireballs or anything along those lines absolutely we had lots of conversations around how it would um how it could look and it you know it makes sense because this doesn't do any it's not there for anything else why don't we just make the symbol a shield and then people will know that it actually does the the shielding and we were kind of close to doing that but there was a couple of reasons that we didn't we because we wanted the game 
to be used. We want it so we, we, as a product, we wanted the product to be used for games other than Regicide, or to give people a reason to buy it, even if they weren't big, um, you know, uh, hobby gamers. Everyone likes a pretty deck of cards, so we thought we're trying to keep our keep it open so that people who love the game, game designers or game players who love hobby games, they've got every reason to buy the deck because it's beautiful and um and, and paul mentioned the art being like super important the art does actually add to the play experience of the game as well it's not there's not a to pure separation between mechanics and art like a lot of people have recognized i oh, it's a it's once i've once you've played the game with played the game with the official deck there's no way i want to go back to playing it with the regular deck like it does have this beautiful connection to the play just through the way that you like to tell stories as you're you know bouncing your cards on the table um as with any game with good components um but yeah it was a it was an interesting one i i was a big fan of just keeping it purely as the suits because it would suit it would mean people can play it with any other game and also it just has a familiarity like it meant you didn't have to like you weren't like translating what the symbol might mean in your head um, to, to try and play other games. And a lot of other games, the suit doesn't actually matter, right? Maybe like Hearts, where, this, where the, a specific suit matters, and then you'd have to be translating it in your head for that. But there's just a real, and this is something we discovered more afterwards, really, there's a real familiarity and comfort in seeing those symbols like this. The standard deck is like this cultural artifact that we all have connection with. Um, and so to see it and feel it in your hands while you're playing this really different type of game that you've never played before, which is the case for a lot of, you know, a lot of the non-gamers who've had fun with it. I think it helps a lot. Um, I think it really helps that they're trying to learn, okay, it's cooperative and man, this is really hard and I'm discarding things, but at least I know, at least I recognize these symbols in my hand. Um, and that wasn't really part of the original decision, to be honest, but it's certainly been a nice um, outcome as a result of it. Certainly, seeing the way people have talked about the game and um, in particularly those non-gamers as well and it has been it's been quite cool how many people are not traditional hobby gamers have really enjoyed it got into it and also young young people as well kids much younger than we ever thought would be playing it have really been having a lot of uh, a lot of fun with it so i think that probably speaks to the the, the standard deck of cards is this great um, entry point for games right and you bring up a really good point you can use the art Instead of changing the icons, instead of changing the, the suits, you can use the art to express what you need to express. So in, in your case, instead of the four of spades changing the spade to a shield, well, you can just have an art, uh, a piece of art with a character holding a shield or something like that, right? That's it. That's exactly what we did. We decided that every single spade would hold a shield and you can find a shield in every single spade. Every single club, they're all holding a club or a hammer, something that actually looks like a club. Um, so yeah, the hearts are all holding potions and uh, the mages all have a little bit of fire tingling on their fingertips so yeah, the connections are there for the players to make um, and pretty much everyone got it like people looking over the kickstarter campaign or making comments we were really surprised that people understood what we're trying to do oh if you want to use the deck to play a normal other game you can if you want to if you don't want to buy a deck and just want to download the rules you can do that that's cool and people everyone got it except for one person and unfortunately he has one of the largest um board game network channels in the world so he was on youtube what i don't get it no don't do this don't do this guys no don't oh what are you doing don't do that but that was okay only one person didn't get it everybody else seemed to enjoy it so we were quite happy with that we kind of thought it yeah. might be 50 50 to be honest <laughs> yeah you can't win them all go ahead <laughs> 
I, I think that um that that art reinforcing the um the gameplay um I think that's super I think that's something we did quite well it's um super awesome and I think it's something that's um very very cool but I think it's one of the it's one of the places where uh, where uh, we have I think we made one misstep basically um in our in regicide. It's the one one regret I have is that um we made the diamonds into mages in, in, instead of into bards um just to try and thematically t- um tie together kind of what you're doing um so like there's different special powers so like the hearts heal right um and the the mages draw now mages drawing is kind of um a, a it got there because it was a hangover from our um our tcg experience you know in the tcgs we played mage mages usually had a draw function but then when we um after we'd done all the art and we got down to it and we we're in, we we're looking at the um the tavern deck you draw from the tavern deck and it's like what recruits people from the tavern deck into a into your hand and it's like oh, i think we missed with that, that that probably would be a bard if i was to think about it so if i was to um to to re-go um at the art of this i would uh i would probably go to um bards on the on the diamonds but but it because the other ones really really do tie together quite nicely uh, and that's actually quite a good little picture of mechanic versus theme right like for that one we we decided that that would be mages because of the mechanic of drawing a card which was the wrong which was the not the, the right way to draw it from we should have said hey what what's the what's the story we're trying to tell here what's the theme what are these guys actually doing that's yeah they're bringing people to the party okay who does that yeah so that's even even in a standard deck there's there's room to make those decisions and make those mistakes as well i mean you could just go back and draw a guitar on each of the characters <laughs> or put it at their feet or something like that. that's a bard yeah, yeah. you haven't seen paul's dick has done that <laughs> Got it. All right, let's switch switch gears a little bit. Andy, let's talk about the product side of things, the marketability side of things. What were some issues you ran into or maybe some things you ran into that were unexpectedly good as far as marketing this kind of game? Because I can see a lot of people going, well, why would I buy that? And so what were some of the things you, you did to overcome that? Yeah, well, I think, like like I said before, I did have some reservations about about how it was going to work as a product. Um, but I think I think it ended up, doing quite well for i guess there's a few reasons but um one of the reasons was our artist dj is not only an amazing artist but he he has a bit of a social media following which he sort of built up through the process while we were um, making the game and um so there were a lot of people that came from his um from his following that you know were very interested in the in the product because they were very interested in dj um but um I think I think like a lot of the things we've already said around being a very uh, open and free to play kind of game really resonated. I guess maybe people were tired with um, buying you know three hundred dollar massive games that um, turn out to be maybe good, maybe not. Um, so um, just having a very affordable game seemed to seem to work really well. Um, affordable, simple. Uh, kind of easy game that kind of crossed um crossed the boundaries of of kind of hobby gamers and and non-hobby gamers um yeah i don't i think yeah go paul i i think the um the the ability to use a 52 card deck and just play it 
allowed um, people who might review it or um, podcasts or things like that um, to have a, to have a kind of a quick look at it before um, before they so they can kind of comment on it. Um, so it allowed people to kind of talk about the game without having the the actual physical game in front of them. Um, and I think that had a had a reasonable of benefit to us. I mean, um, the 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 game had obviously the game had to be you know fun and engaging once they picked it up. Um, but the accessibility allowed us to get to um, to different kind of influence um, influential people um, yeah. a little bit easier than than it would normally. Yeah, and I think we yeah. we all really believed in it as a game. We knew it was a great game. Um, so yeah, we were really incentivized to to get it into people's hands for people to play it. We we had no sort of reason to want to hide it behind um, any sort of um, gates of um, you know having to have components or whatever. It was just like we want we want people to play it because we know people are going to like it. And I think that that's also because of the like position we were in. We were this was not a full-time job for us we weren't um you know this was just us playing on the side and making a game in our spare time and kind of publishing it um and so when we when we when we kind of made the game we're like oh look let's throw it out there let's see if this if this works if this happens we we don't it doesn't need to be um a big financial success if lots of people play it um and love it then that's that's already a success even if they don't purchase the um the official product so I think that the fact that we weren't kind of, um, you know, this needs to make X amount of money for us to, you know, continue our company going, um, I think was a, allowed us to have that kind of freedom start. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah our definitely. goal wasn't to, Go ahead. Uh, sorry, Gabe, our goal wasn't to make a lot, a lot of money. Our goal was just to get on this podcast. So I think we've, <laughs> we've well, accomplished there. Yeah. We've achieved that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I could be part of that uh, that accomplishment. So, all right, let's uh, let's keep talking about that though. As far as like people finding out about the game and knowing about it and talking about it, like I said in the intro, th- your game is number one on BGG in, in the hotness, and this doesn't make sense from the typical games <laughs> that are on there. And so, Luke, tell me about that. Like, what in the world has happened? Like, why why is it at number one? What has led to that happening? Sure. Well. Six days ago, they changed the algorithm to be based purely on game awesomeness, and so we instantly jumped straight to number one. No, what problem solved? There you go. The problem solved. No, what? Um, so what happened is we've um, had the game. We've we've shared the game with um, a number of different reviewers. We've got a publishing partner in the US who has been distributing the game to um, a lot of people who are starting out in their review career so you know people and and the responses although the audience for those uh, those people are relatively small the responses have been incredibly positive like we we kind of felt like the game was good and we felt proud of it but we didn't really know if other people would feel the same way and the res- the response from those um, early reviews were really encouraging and I've got um, this may break your heart, but you're not the only board game podcast I listen to. I've got quite a few on the go, um, and so you don't have there to was talk couple... to me about the people that you cheat on me with. It's fine. <laughs> we have an open relationship. You want to talk about? It. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, there's a, uh, a couple in particular of the larger um, reviewers, and we we sent one to um, a 
Canadian podcast, so very wrong about games, who do a lot of um, a real real board game criticism. Um, their slogan sort of, bad games are not easy on you, so we're not easy on bad games. Um, and they really enjoyed it and were very effusive in their praise of it week after week after week. Um, and so, okay, that was cool of them because they were, you know, they're a medium-sized podcast and then because they were saying such nice things, uh, you know, some larger podcasts caught on. I mean, Shut Up and Sit Down covered it. Um, you can bleep these podcast names out and post if you like. That's fine. Um, when Shut Up and Sit Down covered it, it they were also very, um, uh, you know, very encouraging and very kind in their words they had for the game. And so the way the what the BGG hotness is, in my very limited understanding, it is people clicking on that page. It's people clicking on the page and maybe mentioning it in the forums or something like that but i think mostly it's just activity around the actual page itself and so because it's just a deck of cards people are going to bgg and downloading the rules and watching the learn to play video just to try it out because the cost to do so is just a bit of time and so they're hearing these people and podcasts that they respect they're saying kind things or good things about this game and and the, and they're saying they're saying this they're saying literally this i really like this game you may not like it, but it doesn't cost you anything to find out. Go and give it a go. And, you know, and people are doing that. And we've we've had a, someone gave us a one. And we're just still trying to find out where they live. But other than that, people on BGG have been rating it just very, very positively, really highly. And, um, yeah, and that's that's why the hotness is, that's why it's on the hotness. So six days now in a row, and it's probably not going to be there for too much longer. We're, we're targeting 100 days consecutive number one on the hotness. So <laughs> we're, uh, we'll see how we go. Yeah. And it, it is a cool little accomplishment that no one else in the world cares about or even knows what you're talking about. And they think you're funny if you brought it up in regular conversation. But for us in our world, it's a pretty cool accomplishment. And uh, I think you should get a championship belt and just carry it around. And then whoever... <laughs> you know, takes over at number one, you need to mail it to them. And then they get to carry it around. I mean, I love professional wrestling. I think it should be more uh, a normal thing in society. That If you win something, you also get a giant championship belt made of gold and you get to wear it around wherever you go. Uh, anyway, we can plant that seed right now. But going back to th- this conversation, it brings up a really good point as far as this type of game, because it is so easy to get it to the table. It, it could just be downloading a PDF with the rule book and then using a deck of cards that's sitting in a, a drawer at your house. I mean, it just lends itself to more people being able to find out about it and potentially give it a try even before they buy it. And a lot of people honestly would probably play the game, enjoy it and then go buy it because they want to support you and they want to thank you for an uh, enjoyable time. And so it's something just to, to kind of be aware of as a game designer. And, and a lot of people have literally said that like it might seem, it might sound like a weird thing for you and I to talk about on a podcast and people at home are probably thinking, Oh yeah, but who's going to actually go and buy a deck? We have had forum after forum after Kickstarter comment after, you know, email saying we played it with a normal deck, but we wanted to get the real deck. They say things like real or official or actual. And it's just so encouraging to hear people, you know, re- That's those are exactly the sorts of things we talked about when we were thinking about if we'd even chuck it up there on Kickstarter. It was like, what if people thought that they would want to get the real deck and it's just been really fun to see people say those exact words and it's not not to be underestimated and people if people recognize value and if they feel like they're getting having fun or um you know that they're they're happy to part with a couple of bucks to you know say thank you and maybe hopefully help it to happen again in the future 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, this has been great. Let's get some closing thoughts. Paul, let's start with you. What would you tell a designer who is working on one of these games or, or listening to this conversation now has an idea? How would you encourage them? Ooh, um, how would I encourage them? Uh, You're asking the wrong person. Yeah, I'm not an encouraging person, really. What would you tell them to cut? <laughs> what would you tell them to not do? Yeah, How about that? Just cut it out. Just stop. Stop. As it, what I tell Andy, stop trying to put in more components. We don't need more components, man. Just cut that out. Like one of the last games, we, oh, oh, just closing remarks, but one of the last games we were working on, um, it was just that. Andy brought together, uh, brought out a, um, a prototype, and it's just like, oh, this game is awesome, Andy. You just need to cut that that whole system over here, this whole system over here, and this whole system over here, and it'll be a really nice game. <laughs> and, you know, it's, um, I think the the encouragement to designers is, like, less is more. Like, I, I really like, I really like streamlined, beautiful, um, like, elegant design games. And so, like, um, cutting, you know, you don't have to, the, the core is the most important part, right? If the core works really nicely, and when you, um, then the rest of the, bits and pieces you add on to the game kind of um, just enhance that and with a 52 card deck you really have to concentrate on the core it's a really good design um, challenge even if it doesn't make it through to a, a product it's a really good design challenge because it it makes you focus on like the core mechanics um, and so yeah give it a go yeah that's great advice all right so andy what would you say to encourage people especially after they've been discouraged by someone like paul <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and no. draw on first-hand experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think to that point, like probably the biggest thing that I've learned through this process was just how how great it's been working in a team. Like, um, you know, it probably seems like three people is a lot to make a, a small game like this, but um, it actually worked out really well. And, and I mean, it helped that we're we're all really good mates and we've known each other for decades. Um, so we're very honest and, and able to kind of take criticism so i guess as an encouragement i'd say you know see if you can find people to to design with not try and do it all yourself because it's very easy when you're doing it by yourself to kind of get stuck like you you think of an idea and you think oh this idea is awesome and you just you're just trying as hard as you can to to get it into the game because you think it's amazing and it just takes one other person to sort of look at it like like a pool um and go yeah nah take that out <laughs> so uh, i would encourage people to to give it give kind of um team design a, a go and and find someone that you trust someone that you respect and um or two people even um and um give it a go as a team yeah definitely and luke what are your closing thoughts and then also tell people where they can find regicide online sure um certainly like closing thoughts for me is that as a designer it's really hard to finish games and I suspect I'm not the only person who loves designing hobby board games and struggles to actually finish a project and the best thing about designing with a deck of cards and this is my biggest encouragement for someone else to give it a go is that as soon as you pick up that deck and you hold it in your hands and you say I'm going to design a game you are 90% of the way there you have all of your components sorted. You know everything that's going to be in your game. You're not worried about tiles. You're not worried about um, tracks and meeples. You don't know if you, it's not going to be a dexterity game. Well, it might be a dexterity game. Oh, hang on. <laughs> give me 10 seconds. No. Um, it, Don't get me it's, started. <laughs> it's got, you, know, you, you know that what you're going to be working. It's kind of like if you opened up 
Imagine if you had to design Settlers of Catan, except you started with all the tiles in front of you. You've got the dice, you've got the little number tiles, you've got these little houses, a deck of cards already with the words written on it. Like, you'd kind of, you know, you'd be on your way if that's what you had in, in front of you. And that's the best thing about it. You, So much of the time we spend in design is agonizing over where could this go, how, what we might include. And with the deck, that's all done for you. So just pick it up and give it a go. And it doesn't have to be anything that you know you want to share with the world but you may use it as a framework or a scaffolding to actually then move on to another game you might end up making a five suit deck or you might take numbers up to 20 or something like that the, the thing that we didn't do which was we had these ideas hey what if what if we added this what and we, we said no let's just stick with this but there's lots of times when you're working with the deck where you'll think oh actually i could just add a xyz and that would make it a really special type of deck um so yeah the, my biggest encouragement would be just give it a go yeah and then where can people find register oh i forgot i forgot where people could could find register okay um so they should definitely check it out on boardgamegeek.com it's easy to find you just uh, scroll to the hotness and it's number one at the top of the list there at the moment <laughs> um you can, there's a learn to play video so there's a pdf to download but the learn to play video is is excellent it's like nine minutes and it covers absolutely everything you could possibly need to know download the pdf and give it a go if you then enjoy the game um you can find it online through our website if you're outside the united states so that's um www.badgesfrommars.com and uh, if you're in the u.s or canada um, it's supplied through our partner there and that's uh, tgg games and you can order it through their website it's on back order at the moment just getting some more printed but um yeah not too long now awesome well gentlemen really appreciate your time really appreciate y'all joining me here on the show good luck with regicide hopefully staying at number one for the next hundred plus days or so getting your championship belt and carrying that around uh, i guess it'd be a, a triple tag team belt at this point but uh good luck uh, with that and good luck with your pig game or any other terrible ideas that you're working on and uh, everything else you got going on right now thank you very much gabe absolute Thanks, pleasure Jeez. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?